Bill was right. That is a powerful song. Very moving. The longer you live with Jesus, the more you want to be there. Celebrate, to worship, and to serve. That was powerful. Thank you so much for singing that song, for bringing it back up after 30 years and hearing Highland singing it, which is just very awesome. What a joy to get to hear that today. You're going to be blessed next week because Jerry Rankin is teaching, and he's going to continue what I began today in John chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn there? John chapter 14. Now, I know the Sermon on the Mount is very dear to Reuben and Janet, but I believe, personally, uh, John 14 through 17 are perhaps my favorite chapters in all the Gospels. And it's so easy to spend multiple hours just meditating on the verses found there because they, they take the Sermon on the Mount and they tell you how to live it out. They explain how to walk it out before Jesus. And it's such a practical passage. And I hope that you will spend more time, if you haven't already, that you'll spend more time in John 14 through 17. Uh, just powerful truth spoken from the lips of Jesus to his children, to us. Let's pray one more time and let's ask the Spirit of God to teach us everything he wants us to see from these 14 verses we're going to look at today, shall we? Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, just the thought of someday being able to be with you because of the sacrificial work that Jesus did on our behalf. Lord, it moves us. Now, I just pray, Father, that our hearts would be more movable. Lord, help our hearts before your eyes to be tender and pliable. Lord, move us to passion often in these days. Lord, move us to that place where everything within us just swells up before you, getting us ready to actually bow before your literal throne, to worship you, to adore you, to join with the saints of the ages in declaring that you are God. Oh, Father, would you help us to so live it out right now that people would see our lives, hear our words, see our praise, and be drawn to your Son, Jesus. Oh, Father, speak to us today. Lord, you're our teacher. You've sent your Holy Spirit into our hearts to teach us truth and to help us understand it. And I pray that even today, there would be a, a revealing of more truth. Lord, we, we can't exhaust you. We can't exhaust your truth. And so would you just show us more in this glorious relationship to which you called us? Lord, what a privilege it is, even today, to just join our hearts together as one in your very throne room to declare that you are Almighty God. We praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Can I make one announcement? Please. This, on the screen, 
is the website for this message that you'll be able to hear later this week and all the messages that we've recorded for the last three years. <coughs> so that's the site right there. It's uh, off of the Highland website, but it's a special website that handles all of our messages. So write that down so you can remember. So it's not on the website anymore? It is on the website, but this is a different website, and it goes just for the messages. Thank you, Reuben. It's good to go back and be able to hear what has been shared. Let's read, if we could, uh, John 14, verses 1 through 6. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also and you know the way where I'm going Thomas said to him Lord we do not know where you're going how do we know the way and Jesus said to him I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father but through me years ago I served as the pastor of First Baptist Church of Cameron Texas and I was just called back there this last week to do the funeral for one of my former members. His name was H.M. Yeager. He died at the age of 92. I'd known him from the time I was a child because my grandfather and H.M. both had family ranches in the same community just north of Cameron, a little, little community called Maysfield. H.M. had been born on that property he had learned to farm and ranch on that property beside his dad. And he raised his family on that property. And his family still owns that property today. In the year 2000, something tragic happened and that their farmhouse burned to the ground. And because they were advanced in age, they moved to Cameron, which was not a long way off. And so they resided there in the city instead of in the country. But even after that, he would continually go back to the land, to work the land. And he loved his ranch. Uh, some of you perhaps have moved multiple times in your life, but for H.M., he had the privilege of really just being in one place his whole life. It's hard to imagine being born on that property. I mean, there was an old doctor from Cameron that came out to see him delivered when he was a child, and he spent his whole life in that very same place. Now, H.M. was a strong believer. He was known all throughout Milam County as he connected with all the ranching entities in that county. He was known as a strong Christian man. And as much as H.M. loved his land, As much as he was attracted to it, he knew it was not his home. Amen. It was so easy doing his funeral. The passage that they asked me to share was this passage. <laughs> because as H.M. grew weaker at age 92, his heart was no longer to return to the farm. <laughs> he wanted to go home. 
And he kept telling his family, I'm ready. Oh, Lord, let me go home. And how special it was when God took this precious child of his finally home. May we all be like that. May we all have the kind of heart that says to the Father, Father, I realize I'm just passing through this place. I'm a stranger in this land. But my home is eternally with you. And you know, I appreciate so much Reuben's introduction today because it really speaks very clearly as to what the disciples were feeling when Jesus spoke these words. If you go back to chapter 13 of John, you see where Jesus said, I'm getting ready to go someplace where you cannot go now. And they didn't really understand all that he was saying, but just the thought of Jesus being someplace where they could not follow right then was very challenging to them. And so in verses one through six, Jesus really is painting for those trembling, fearful disciples the assurance of heaven and eternal life. In verse 1, they were just, I think they were reeling. Have you ever been in a situation where you were sort of reeling? If that's a good word to use. Something has been so spoken, something has happened that's just thrown you off of the stability of your foundation a little bit. And so as these disciples were reeling in the eyes of Jesus that they could not follow him, he looked them right in the heart and said, do not let your heart be troubled. Now in the Greek, I find that phrase so interesting because that possessive pronoun your is plural. But the word heart is singular. Isn't that interesting? And I think when Jesus looked into the eyes of his disciples, especially after he said, I'm going someplace you can't follow right now, he saw that they were all united with one heart in concern or maybe desperation. And so even in the Greek, it's reflective of the fact that he looked at them and he realized that they were all one. They had the same trouble. They had the same burden in their heart. You're going to be separated from us and we can't follow right now? Oh no! They realized that the nearness of God was their good. The nearness of Jesus was their good. And I think they had trouble even understanding what was about to happen. Even though he had, he had been speaking to them of what he would go through, and certainly, perhaps if you watch The Chosen, his, his mom probably understood where he was headed, and others may have, but I've got a feeling it was hard for them to understand that he was headed to the cross. It's almost as if in these chapters there's this, this pivotal turn in the heart of Jesus where he realized as the suffering Savior, he was headed to the cross. And you know, um, I got to thinking about these words and what they're like. You know, after you take a shower, or anytime you wash your face and you use a wash rag, what do you do with that wash rag? You wring it out. Very good. You get all the water out. And Jesus, as he knows he's headed to the cross, these words are like he's taking his life and the truth, and he's, he's wringing it out right before his disciples' eyes. Because he wants them to, 
to get the fullness, every drop of what his life has been like and meant. And so here is Jesus in these words saying, oh, do not let your heart be troubled. And he begins then to wring out the wash rag, to place on those disciples every bit of truth that they need to receive before he leaves them. And, you know, many times uh, I've known individuals who are near death, approaching death, and they certainly want their family to hear their heart. And so they begin to speak precious things into the lives of their family. Those things that are meaningful, those things that they want to pass on, that they want their family to treasure and receive. And that's what happens right here following that phrase, do not let your heart be troubled. It says, believe in God, believe also in me. And Jesus just nailed it. Anytime we go through a trying moment, where do we turn? We turn to the Father and we turn to Jesus. And that word believe, pistuo in the Greek, is, it basically means trust. So what he was saying is, listen, things are going to get challenging here. I'm going someplace that you can't follow right now, but I want you to trust God with this. I want you to trust me with this. And so he challenged them at the area of faith. So no matter how rocky the road may appear to you, no matter how challenging it may get, you need to trust me. Now we could stop right there and just go to the Father. If you're facing a trial today, the best counsel in the world right now is to just turn your eyes to Jesus. Turn your eyes to the Father and say, Father, I don't understand all that's happening, but I'm gonna trust you. You've seen me my whole life. You know all the spiritual markers in my life. And even though I may not understand these challenging circumstances, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe in you, that you're on your throne, that you've not, you've not left your throne, you still see me and love me, and you're in control, and I'm just going to joyfully put my trust in you. I'm purposing to lift my eyes over and above all the waves and just see the sun. And Lord, I see clouds right now, but the sun is shining. I know it, and I'm going to focus on the sun. Have you been there before? Yeah. Probably all of us have it some form or fashion. We've lost loved ones. We've faced grave challenges. And our challenge is to just keep believing in God, trusting in God. What a beautiful verse. Then verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go prepare a place for you. Jesus reassured his disciples that his departure was for their advantage. He says, I'm going to prepare a dwelling place for you. Now, that word dwelling place, is there like a, a mansion? Some translations may even use that term mansion. It's like a mansion with many rooms or many houses that he's prepared for us. Not sure exactly what heaven will be like, but there's a place that Jesus has prepared for those who follow him, those who know him as his genuine children. And that's pretty exciting to know that Jesus is preparing a place for us. 
not just a carpenter building an earthly home, but God preparing a special place for us that will be pretty exciting to live in for eternity and to dwell in for eternity. You see, uh, these homes are just so temporary. Our real home is above in the presence of God. Now in verse 3 it says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know, that's the promise of Christ's return. He's already been there. But at some point he's coming back to receive unto himself those who know him and we'll get to be with him forever. Now verse 4 it says, and you know the way where I'm going. That word way is very interesting. We're going to talk about it again in just a moment because it appears again. But I think Thomas spoke for the heart of all those who were unified in their concern for Jesus and said to him, Lord, we do not know the way. Where are you going? Uh, how do we know the way? And I love that word know in Scripture. In the Greek, there are two. I mentioned this in this class before. There are two Greek words for know. One is oida. The other is gnosko. And oida is a Greek word that means just head knowledge, basically. In other words, I don't know the facts about where you're going. You haven't revealed to us exactly what this way is. So is it a, a path? Is it a road we're taking where we'll meet you someplace later? Uh, what is this way that you're talking about? And so all of a sudden, Thomas, probably speaking for the group, was just a little bit concerned. And then in verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father through me. Perhaps one of the strongest statements about the identity of Jesus found in Scripture. Now, before we look at verse 6 in a little more detail, I just want to bring out just this reality that Jesus, if you go back in chapter 12 and I think chapter 13, you know, Jesus was weeping before the Father. He was, he was struggling. And so here Jesus is at a moment of great struggle where the disciples should be comforting him. And the disciples should have been sensitive to his hurt and his challenge but what does the loving Jesus do? He lays all that aside, all the personal struggle, and he just loves them. And he begins to speak words of comfort into their heart to help them make it through the difficult time he knows is coming for them. And then he speaks these words that are so laden with truth that no doubt the disciples had to pause and think on this much later. After they saw the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection take place, they probably went back and just loved remembering what he said because he said to them, he said to Thomas, even representing all the other disciples, I am the way. Now there are seven I am statements found in John. And this is one of the probably the most well-known of the I am statements where Jesus wanted people to understand his identity. Last time I taught in chapter 10, we looked at another one of those I am statements. And it's just so powerful that Jesus came to really help his disciples understand who he was 
And this really reveals so much about his identity. So much that he wanted his disciples to carry away before he went home to be with the Father, before he left them. This is one of those nuggets of spiritual treasure he left with them. And he said, I am the way. Now over in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, let me read that to us, if you don't mind. It says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him for the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, and in the New American Standard, that's capitalized, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And you look through the book of Acts, and there are a number of references where the way is capitalized. In other words, the disciples so picked up on what Jesus said that they began to describe their whole manner of life as the way. This is the one way to be in a love relationship with God through Jesus. And so all the Christians sort of became known. Maybe that was a secret code word back then. Are you a member of the way? Yeah. Are you a part of the way? Yeah. And so that term itself, and you'll see it capitalized in Acts, at least New American Standard, where it became that phrase that described what it means to walk with Jesus, to be committed to Jesus, to be committed to that way of life where you follow Him and you crown Him as Savior and Lord. I just love that. Then he said, I am the truth. Jesus is the truth personified as to who God really is. In John 1.18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He, Jesus, has explained Him. And so the truth that Jesus is, is the reality of whom and what one most must believe. Great truth. You know, the world's all messed up on truth today. <laughs> Everything is so relative and everybody's redefining what truth is. But at some point, the world is going to come back and recognize that there is one who defines truth. And that's the Lord Jesus. If you want to look at the truth of reality, look at Jesus. And oh, may the truth of Jesus be heard in Waco, Texas today. And he said, I am the life. Jesus is the life. Several other verses that describe that. John 1, 4 says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 5, 26, For just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself. John eleven twenty five, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in Me will live even if he dies. 1 John 5.20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, which is a precious truth we're going to end this with, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. To have a love relationship with Jesus, the one who is life, and to have His Spirit come and dwell within us, that's eternal life. When you have the Spirit of God in you, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. When you have that intimacy of oneness with Him, that's what eternal life is all about. Do you have eternal life? No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. A lot of people are trying different ways today. 
Well, they try all kinds of religions. They try works. That's a big thing for a lot of folks. You know, I'm going to work my way into heaven. No, no, no. It's by believing in and knowing in a personal love relationship the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. Now, verses 7 through 14, let's read those very quickly. It says, if you had known me, and that's the word gnosko, it stands for personal, intimate knowledge, love relationship. If you had known me, you would have known oida. You would have known the facts about my Father also. From now on, you gnosko him. You can have a relationship with God that's real and have seen him. Philip, this time, another one of the disciples, said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe, and there's that word again, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words, and that's rhema, that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise believe because of the works themselves. This is, again, such a powerful passage talking about the identity of Jesus. And he basically said this, the Father and I are one. If you look at me, you've seen the Father. The Father's in me, I'm, I'm in Him. There is a oneness there that's available to you. And uh, again, it, it, he goes back and underscores the fact you've got to trust these words. He said, even what I'm speaking, this rhema I'm speaking to you, it's not from me, it's coming from the Father who abides within me. And He's passed it to me, I'm passing it on to you. And that is a powerful truth that we've got to understand if we want to understand Christianity. That Christianity is not a uh, lone ranger kind of religion. It is a relationship that's real, that's dynamic, and everything about it is relational. You know, I didn't know, I didn't grasp that truth for a while. I've written a, an evangelistic tool. I wrote it back in 2007. Got it copyrighted. It's called Picture Jesus Evangelism. Where I use pictures, and I've led hundreds of people to the Lord using this tool of just seeing Jesus. But I got so convicted about the fact that Christianity is relational, I had to go back and rewrite it. All the content, I had to go back and change because I realized that the gospel is relational. Where we are in Christ Jesus. Now, look with me, if you would, these last three verses. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Now, what did that mean when he went to the Father? Who is he going to send? He's going to send the Holy Spirit to dwell where? In the hearts of his children. So there would be then, once people follow him and put their faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit would come and live in their lives, and the Holy Spirit then would take up residence and allow us to be one with God the Father and God the Son. How exciting that is. That's why he went to the Father. He said, now, believe me, the works ought to help convince you. They had watched him perform miracles. They had seen so many supernatural things happen through the ministry and the life of Jesus as the Father worked through him to accomplish it all. And then these last two verses, 
so powerful whatever you ask in my name that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son if you ask me anything in my name I will do it why did he close this section of scripture talking about prayer Because you know what prayer is? Prayer is the love language of the relationship that we have with the personal God and Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us in the communication of that love language. And the rest of this passage going forward, it helps us understand the dynamic role that the Holy Spirit has in helping us hear the voice of God and understand his directional will and then receive the power as God does it through us to walk it out. And prayer is at the base of all of it. Prayer is so important. Right now, I really believe that God is blessing Waco, Texas uniquely. I've never been in a city where prayer has been underscored more fully then it's being underscored in Waco, Texas right now. I love our pastor's heart. This morning at 8 o'clock, there were over 100 young college men and a few other men who gathered down in the youth room to cry out to God. And that's been going on for a long time now. But just recently, all of a sudden, there's this huge influx of Gen Z. And they are understanding the importance of prayer being at the heart of everything Christianity is about. And so on campus, in Waco, there's a new surge in the Spirit of people understanding that we are to pray in the name of Jesus. What does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? It means we're praying according to His authority. He is the one who does the work. And it's in His name that work is accomplished. What that means is it's according to His will. And so when we pray in His name, we're praying according to His will. It's as if we've received that direction from Him. We've heard His voice saying, this is how you pray. And when we pray it back to the Father, guess what? It's done. I love 1 John chapter 5. Verses 13 and 14. Again, some, I guess my favorite verses. It says, This is the confidence which we have before Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He does what? He hears us. If we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of Him. And so the key to this kind of effective praying is to ask in Jesus' name. Now that word for ask, if you were to look at the Greek, that means it's a beggar appealing to a benefactor. It is the lesser appealing to the greater. And so in humility, we cry out to God as the Spirit directs us, praying that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And guess what? It gets done. It's exciting. I'm going to ask that we close in prayer at our tables today, if that's okay. How much, how much time do we have, Reuben? Yeah, Janet. Okay, um, let me share some things to pray for today. 
But I want you to process this, that it's, it's not just us praying apart from the Spirit of God. But we've got to rely on the Spirit to prompt us and show us how to pray. Just as Jesus and the Father were one. As you keep reading through these passages, you'll see that we are one with them. And we are to abide in Him. And even as uh, that word abide appeared in this chapter, we'll see a whole lot more of it. Uh, up in verse 10, it says, "For the, But the Father abiding in me does His work. And it's very important for us to just pray that during this season, we all would learn to abide in Christ. That means we set up our tent where Jesus is. That means we don't depart from Him. You know, when we sin, sin has a way of separating us from the fellowship that we have with the Father. And so He's calling us to a season to pray for holiness and to pray that the Spirit of God would empower us to walk in obedience to Him, not in sin, not in sin. You know, if I regard iniquity in my heart, Psalm 66, 18, does God hear us? No. He's wanting the relationship to get restored first. And so it's very important for us to pray that God would just cover this city with a sense of, of holiness and abiding in Christ, walking in righteousness. That's a very important way to pray. A second thing to pray right now is that um, maybe you're aware that the Collegiate Day of Prayer is coming to Waco, Texas. The first time in its 201 years that Waco, Texas will host the Collegiate Day of Prayer at Butler University. A number of years ago, added to the Collegiate Day of Prayer was a national broadcast. This past year, I think I've mentioned this before to you, at Asbury College, uh, last February, uh, the broadcast had over a billion TikTok hits. Uh, millions of views in the Middle East, South America. There are like 65 television networks in the South America that picked up the broadcast and distributed it. One thing we might pray for right now is that God would do a couple of things related to the Collegiate Day of Prayer. One, um, that students would be drawn to Waco Hall on February 29th to be a dynamic part of, of that global prayer meeting. That too, this is from the producer, I talked to him yesterday or the day before yesterday, that all those links around the world would be made. Uh, TBN and some other, you know, TBN carried it last year. He's waiting to hear back from TBN and some of these other Christian networks to carry this broadcast live. And so if we could just pray that there'd be a, a sense where the, all those in charge of all those networks would have a prompting of God to say, yes, we'll carry that and we'll air it. Uh, that's another good way to pray. And then thirdly, would you begin praying for FM 72 at Baylor? We will be able for the first time through this global broadcast to ask the world to pray for revival at Baylor during the spring revival, which is March 24 to 27. And let's pray that God would shake this campus so radically and shake this city so radically where people have been praying more than I've seen any other city, crying out to God for revival, that He would shake us to the point where we see only what God can do here, that God's will be done. Would you join me in praying for these things at your table? We've got about 10 minutes before we need to close. And so uh, let's let the Spirit of God guide us 
and just praying over these concerns. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of God's activity here.